1: The Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Brian Kilmeade Show coming your way. Thanks so much for being with us all week long. Uh, We have a big hour coming your way. You picked a good one. Uh, Tom Homan, Fox News contributor, retired acting ICE director. He's done everything on the border. He is understandably outraged about what's happening, especially when it comes to this horse situation. Border Patrol can't use horses, really? so not only are they undermanned, underpaid, underappreciated, correct, forced to do things way out of their job description. Now, somebody sits in Washington, doesn't like what they claim are bad optics, which aren't even bad optics, and they say, okay, ban horses? They've never even been to the border, and the president hasn't been to the border himself for them to do that. Tom Holman on that, as well as... What I think Stephen Miller had great advice yesterday. Basically told the Border Patrol, you've been abandoned. Stop protecting the administration. Find the press and tell them what's really going on. I agree. Big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. There's been a tremendous amount of criticism of the Biden administration's handling of multiple foreign policy issues recently. The chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan, the border crisis... It appears the administration has mismanaged a lot of these issues.
2: Yeah, I think so. That was question two. Anthony Blinken yesterday getting serious. The administration is so inept foreign policy. We're now losing to China in our own hemisphere as Afghanistan slowly breaks all their reform pledges and begins their seventh century laws and practices while Americans and allies languish in country. Number two.
4: The evidence was overwhelming from the very beginning that the emails were authentic. And yet they lied and lied and lied, as you just showed, trying to convince people to not even pay attention to them on the grounds that they were disinformation, that the emails were fake.
2: Glenn Greenwald, he got skewered by his own magazine by coming out and talking about how real these Hunter Biden emails were and what it means for the president. Hunter hijinks its getting way too real, way too late. New Business Insider now, joins Politico now in uncovering and verifying Hunter's wild name-trading business deals that could quite possibly directly compromise and involve his dad. Where are those 50 Intel officials who swore this was all Russian disinformation from last year? Michael Hedden, Hayden, Leon Panetta, John Brennan, anything?
5: Number one.
2: Incompetence personified at the border, mixed with flat out, mixed with flat out deception and lies. That's how I just describe the Haitian bridge surge mess. As it becomes clearer that if you come to our southern border barrier, you get a get in country free card. This should not stand. So a week ago we had twelve thousand at the end of the week, finished up by fifteen thousand by the weekend. Mostly Haitian, not from Haiti. Recently, but coming from South America, a lot from Brazil, a lot from Bolivia, who made their way up because word went out on the Internet, on Facebook and on WhatsApp. Now's the time to get to America. And it got so bad, they grounded our drones because we were showing under the bridge how many people were there in squalor, demanding for access, overwhelming our border patrol. They didn't know what to do, so they grounded the drone. We got a helicopter. And then they added more people. And then they had other news networks come down, been forced, embarrassed into covering it. And now they're down to the last 2,000. They have to clean it up because Black Lives Matters was there. Al-, Al Sharpton was there. They're claiming that the trouble they're having getting in is because they're black. Nothing to do with that at all. So anytime you stop anyone else who are anti-Hispanic as a country, you stop someone from Haiti, you're anti-black. Are you kidding me? They put 1,401 Haitian nationals. They got expelled back to Haiti since Sunday. 3,206 migrants sent to other sectors, Tucson, Rio Grande Valley sector, which means they're eventually getting out. 5,000 migrants remain in the Del Rio sector. That leaves a whole thousands. We have no idea where they are, but they put on buses, put on, uh, on planes. They've already attacked a bus driver. They attacked two ICE agents and a pilot. Nothing about that. But people don't like the optics of seeing... Men on horseback, round up illegals. I love the fact that Al Sharpton went down there, saw an opportunity to make this country more racially divided, and listened to what he was greeted with. Cut 10. Del Rio is not a racist city. Del Rio is a loving, caring community. We We don't want your racism in
6: Texas. Get out of here. Nobody wants to hear your racist nonsense in Del Rio. Got
2: it? He got nowhere. Embarrassing. Embarrassing. Should be for him. But what is, the, what is the theme of this? Undermining law enforcement again. Ignoring a problem again. Undoing Trump rules again. And paying the price with a sieve for a border. While the president tries to talk about anything else, the vice president, who is the border czar, is on The View today... Instead of down south, she only talked about it when she thought there was a racial situation. Incredible. So I want you to listen to Brandon Judd. He is president of the National Border Patrol Council, Cut Five.
7: I've been patrolling the borders uh, since Clinton was the president, and I can tell you personally that the policies that have been in place were by far the best under President Trump and, and President Biden completely and totally dismantled all of those policies. And when you look at our border patrol agents, when they are sent down there to do that job, and by the way, um, Mayorkas was down on the border and he saw the horses, he knew the horses were out there and now he's uh, making doing a 180. But when our agents are out there trying to patrol the border, do their job to the best of their ability, then they're vilified by the president. You know, We feel like, well, why even go out there and do it? Why put on that uniform? Why care about the American public? That's why we do it, we put on that uniform, because we care about the American public. We want to go out there and we want to protect them. And Joe Biden is trying to break that down.
2: He is. And I thought well, this is all true. And it's 100 percent true. He couldn't care less about law enforcement. Another example. So Stephen Miller nailed it on Laura last night. He knows what it's like to crack down. I'm not saying the Trump situation was perfect. But you know what I liked about it? He was trying. And when people weren't successful, they were being fired or moved. And people would say, why are there so many acting directors? He goes, I'm not happy. I'm not happy with the surge. I'm calling Mexico. I'm not happy with the surge. I'm going to deal with the triangle countries, but I'm going to tell them no more aid until you get control of your population. And when, when you do get control, the aid comes ripping back. But he didn't do it through the media. He called them and then told the media. Cut 15. This is
7: all about it's about cheap labor for Biden's wealthy backers, cheap labor for them. And it's about new votes. And it's about HURTING THE PEOPLE, THE WORKING-CLASS PEOPLE THAT MAKE THIS COUNTRY RUN. AND I'LL JUST SAY I NOT ONLY ASSOCIATE MYSELF WITH EVERYTHING THAT MR. Homan JUST SAID, BUT I WILL SAY TO EVERY SINGLE BORDER AGENT WHO IS WORKING THAT LINE TODAY, YOU DO NOT OWE YOUR ALLEGIANCE TO SECRETARY MAYORKAS. He has betrayed you, and you should feel complete license to pick up that phone, to call reporters, yes. and to tell them the truth about what's happening on our border and the mass releases happening every day, day after day, families, children, adults into the community with no screening, no vetting, and no laws.
2: And we're talking about a pandemic, too, and you have the you have the Title 42, which means kick them out right away. Not saying I'm anti-refugee. Do it the right way. Reform the process. Make it easier uh, for the green card, uh, for the refugee said, I'm all for that, but not until you get border security. It's not hard, and you know that. Next, Uh, and I'll talk to Tom Homan in 15 minutes about that. Next, Hunter Biden hijinks. New emails reveal that Hunter Biden's business contacts – Business context include Libya. Evidently, uh, Barack Obama, as you know, after Gaddafi was killed in a uh, a terrible Libyan military operation, which was uh, which was punctuated by the disaster at Benghazi, we froze their assets. Okay, so uh, guess who they went to to unfreeze their assets? In a demand where a two million dollar fee, they have Hunter Biden. And they have found emails talking about a deal that would be done as Hunter Biden, with a $2 million retainer, would work to recover Libyan frozen assets, working the vice president and the president of the United States. The insider reports that they're based on emails they were not the particular hard drive that Rudy Giuliani got. This is a different one. It proves the media lied to the American people about the Biden family business. It shows, per the phone conversation, they described Hunter Biden's positives. This is according to the dealmakers that they were trying to do a deal with. Hunter Biden's positives, being the chairman of the U.N. food program and being a business partner of the S.O.S. Forbes K. Sons, meaning Secretary of State uh, John Kerry's son Forbes, he would be involved in the process. Hunter had been linked to Christopher Hines. That's his name. But his middle name is Forbes and the former Massachusetts senator. Okay, that sounds like a lot of power. Maybe you might be able to do that. Now, per the phone conversation, they met with Hunter Biden. He wanted $2 million, and he wanted to hire his own people. He wanted to keep the, circuit, uh, the circle closed, obviously, because he wants confidentiality, obviously. Meanwhile, the bad part about hiring Hunter Biden, let's see, alcoholic? Drug addict kicked out of the U.S. Army for cocaine, chasing low class hookers. That is all of the email. Now, Politico, this guy Ben Schreckinger, is uh, going over all this stuff on the laptop and other emails for a book he's got coming out. And now the Business Insider is doing it. A year ago, the New York Post had it. If you retweeted it, your, your account was frozen. For the New York Post, they froze it through the election. Do you see the problem here? It's not about Hunter Biden being a crackhead, that's his issue. It's about his dad using his son and his power to broker international deals at the expense of U.S. foreign policy. Next, Admiral James Stavridis. We'll talk about the president's foreign policy, the disastrous dismount from Afghanistan, what we're left with now, and what we just learned about Taliban, which we're called very businesslike by this administration. They're anything but for people on the ground. And then Tom Holman. Busy hour. Thanks for being here. Brian Kilmeade.
1: Coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
2: As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom.
1: Information you want,
8: truth you demand.
1: This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
8: Did the Pentagon, as reported, recommend the evacuation of American citizens and Afghan partners in May? What happened to that? Why didn't that take place? And the whole issue surrounding Bagram, about should have been kept open or not. And then it comes down to the the proper security of the airport itself. Um, If Kabul was offered to us, what was the reasoning that we didn't take Kabul, or at least a piece of it, to help better secure the airport? Report. And did DOD agree with the president about the deadline of August 31st, even though we wouldn't leave thousands of our, our citizens and Afghan partners behind? I mean, all of those things deserve to be explored.
2: And they, they and they will be explored next week. The question is, will General Milley and Secretary of Defense Austin say, yeah, if it was my call, I wouldn't have done this. If it was my call, when asked, I wanted 4,000 troops. When it was my call, I said, why not gradually close the door? Why totally close the door? Admiral James Stravitas joins us now. He's been in that position before. 16th Supreme Allied Commander at NATO, currently a member of the Carlyle Group, and author of several bestsellers, including his newest one, 2034, A Novel of the Next World War. Admiral uh, welcome back. What would you want to know tomorrow if you were a, a congressman or senator? What questions would you ask, knowing what they can and can't say of the general and chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff?
9: Yeah, I think my my good friend and uh, mentor, Jack Keene, laid it out pretty well. Um, I think I want to know about the Bagram decision. I think that's a questionable one. I want to know about the timeline um, in terms of pulling out uh, very precipitously. I want to know about um, all of the decisions in and around the perimeter at Kabul. I think those are legitimate questions that the American public wants to hear about. Brian, the other thing is that Jack didn't mention is, okay, going forward, what's the plan? How are we going to ensure that al-Qaeda doesn't gain a foothold here. We we know that the Taliban continue to be involved with them. More importantly, even than that, in the immediate uh, moment is, how are we going to get our people out? We still have murky figures, but let's call it 100-plus U.S. citizens probably a couple of hundred green card permanent residents and thousands of Afghans at risk. So I want to hear about the plans going forward. I think it's going to be a highly anticipated and highly watched hearing. If
2: I'm read Bob Woodward's book, it was written before the pullout happened and nobody thinks it was a good idea. Uh, Nobody thinks it was executed. Well, not our allies and not many Americans, but in Bob Woodward's book, it says secretary Austin was not for this. And and General Milley was for four thousand. What do you do, How do you convince the president? Let him know that this could be disastrous. And if you're a military person who was who was nominated by the president, do you have an obligation to us to tell us what you recommended, or an obligation to could to cover the president's back?
9: I think your obligation is to tell the truth. And I remember many times going up and testifying. Uh, on Afghanistan, the Balkans, Libya, piracy, all the things that I was charged with as Supreme Allied Commander. And I would testify in front of a wide variety of committees up there, Brian. But the person who always kept me focused, frankly, was John McCain. And John McCain was very clear in the period of time when he was chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee that we had an obligation as senior military to tell the truth. And I think that's uh, what is absolutely necessary at this moment. And I don't envy, uh, general Mark Milley, the position he's going to be in, but he's got to tell the truth.
2: Uh, That would, that would be refreshing, uh, because it's hard to get any candid, uh, uh, assessment about what's going on. So it's, it's, uh, I just think we have to look at this whole relation between civilian control and professional control. For example, I might watch a lot of football, but you don't want me calling the plays on Sunday. I, I'm pulling for the Giants to win, <laughs> but I'm not calling the plays because I didn't go to practice all week. I haven't spent 45 years working my way up the ladder. But yet you are getting the way our civilian control happens, non-military, unless you're Eisenhower, non-military or Bush 41, non-military professionals are saying, I want this, this, and this. And you, as a military expert, who on your free time does war games and hangs out with other war professionals, has to take it from them. There's something we could do while still keeping civilian control to reorganize this relationship, don't you think?
9: Here's what I think on all of these issues, Brian, because it doesn't just apply to military advice. Let's look at COVID. Um, Here you've got uh, cadres of scientists and doctors who, who have studied and devoted their lives to these issues, um, and they've got to give advice. But at the end of the day, it's the senior elected officials who are going to make the decision. So there's always going to be disconnects. Let's focus back on the military one. I think the key here is um, ensuring that all of the leaders, the military, the uniforms leaders have their time in the court. They can come in front of the president. They can uh, describe what they think is right. And by the way, at the moment, we've got a secretary of defense who is in the chain with the senior military, who himself is a former general. So I think the military are getting plenty of airtime with the president. The real issue is, is the president making the right decisions and listening to his military advisors. And I think in the case of Afghanistan, the answer to that uh, is probably going to come out to be no. He went in a different direction than he was advised to do. And so the accountability for that, Brian, is not uh, in changing the system, it's it's called an election. So let's see what happens uh, next week, and let's see how the chips fall in the electoral process. How much that will play remains to be seen.
2: Uh, absolutely. Uh, thanks so much, Admiral. Always great to talk to you.
9: Same here, Brian. Be good. Bye bye.
2: Got it. Uh, Tom Homan's coming up next on what's going on at the border. 1-866-408-7669, Right after that, what President Trump is now rating uh, in terms of approval will really hearten his supporters.
8: Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
1: From his mouth to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade
10: the secretary also conveyed to civil rights leaders earlier this morning that we would no longer be using horses in Del Rio. Uh, so that is something, a policy change that has been made in response.
2: Welcome. Uh, welcome back, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade. Uh, this is Jen Sakis trying to spin her way out of what's happening at the border. And then today are blaming Republicans for the lack of policy. I hope the American people are not buying it. I know Tom Holman is not being duped by it. Tom, can you put in perspective how bad things are right now at the border?
11: Well I can say, look, I started in Border Patrol in nineteen eighty four and, and I've I've been forced immigration law for almost thirty five years before I retired. This is the worst I've ever seen it. And that's just about we've never seen the the flow like we see right now. The unaccompanied children came across this so far this year is the highest we've ever seen in the history of the United States Board of Patrol. Same with family units, and and what in the image we saw down in Del Rio, where these Haitians had free reign, going back and forth to Mexico, back into the United States, to to, to squat in the, uh, a, a U.S. land, go back to Mexico get food and water. That has never happened in the history of the Board of Patrol. We've always held the line. And uh, when I saw that, and I, you know, I've never seen it, and that's why I'm angry, Brian. I'm, I'm actually angry about the attack on, on, on the horse patrol. I've watched that video 20 times. I know what's in the operations manual, I know what's in the training operation instruction for horseback. These officers performed exactly as they're supposed to. The horses performed the same as their trainers, just like NYPD horse patrol and crowd control on New Year's Eve. So these officers are sitting there on the border. They're watching people enter the country illegally, which is a crime. And these are law enforcement officers that enforce that law. They were doing their job. And I see the vice president vilifying them. I see the Secretary of Homeland Security on CNN make the following statement. I'm appalled that the Border Patrol weaponized horses to attack children. That guy needs to go. That, that is, for a Deputy for the Secretary of Homeland Security to say that about the men and women who put a gun on their hip every day and defend this nation, it was appalling to me. And he knows better,
2: Tom. He knows better, which makes it worse, doesn't he? Because you told me he's experienced.
11: Absolutely. Th- thanks for bringing that up. He was deputy secretary in FY 1415 when Jay Johnson was the secretary. I met with Alejandro Mayocas a hundred times. He knows what caused the surges and he knows how to stop them. We stopped them by building detention centers, holding them, making them see a judge. 90% loss. We put on the airplane, send them home. The border numbers went down. He knows how to stop it, but he's not detaining them. He's trying to release them as quickly as possible. ICE can't remove, them because ICE has been decapitated, and they're being released without even a court date. So he's doing the complete opposite of what he knows works. So he is he is sold out to the progressive left also in, in the White House.
2: So I want you to hear what Jen Psaki told MSNBC an hour ago, cut one.
10: This needs a longer-term fix, and that's why the president proposed an immigration bill his first day in office. Now, we've seen that parts of it were proposed in the reconciliation package that's moving its way through. The parliamentarian considered a piece members of the Senate are gonna come back with another proposal but Fundamentally, what we need to do here is we need to pass a new immigration law. We need to fix the system over the long term. We've seen a lot of speeches out there uh, by Republicans, by others who are talking about what's happening at the border, being critical. What we haven't seen is a plan proposed. And that's what we really need to do to address this over the long term, uh, even as we're addressing the current situation in Del Rio and at the border as we speak.
2: You're not addressing it, number one. Number two is nothing in the reconciliation bill has anything to do with border security. It has naturalized between 8 and 14 million illegals, correct?
11: Absolutely. Jen Psaki, another one gets on TV every day and lies to American people. All they had to do, when they took when Joe Biden took office, he had the most secure border in my career, 35 years. It, did President Trump have illegal immigration down 80 percent? That border is more secure than it ever has been. Joe Biden could have come in and just continued the same policies, and we'd have the first secure border in our history, and Joe Biden could have took credit for it. But he came in here within two weeks and destroyed the most secure border we ever had on purpose. He said during the campaign he was going to do it, and he and he did it. And that's why we have open borders, and that's why we have this this crisis we currently have. And let me tell you something: women are being thirty one percent of women get raped going through that journey. Children are dying. Border patrols saved over eight thousand lives. Either kids drowning in the river or being abandoned in the desert. Eight thousand lives they saved. These are these are heroes, and, and i and, 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 and the Democrats are trying to now spin the narrative. Let's stop talking about this crisis in Del Rio. Let's attack the men and women of Border Patrol and call them racists. And you got people like Al Sharpton running down there. Al Sharpton should stay in New York and pay his taxes to the IRS. That's what he should do. He knows nothing about border security. He knows nothing about horse patrol. I talked to five retired chief patrol agents last night and two retired commissioners. All seven said they seen the video. These Border Patrol agents did exactly as they were trained to do. They did their job and they did it well. And so there's no reason for the Democrats to attack and call them racists or whipping black people. It's just
2: ridiculous. Well, the thing is, they're now on desk duty as we do an investigation on their actions. And now they can't use horses.
11: And not only that, Brian, the investigation, the IG is going to investigate. They already muddied the waters. The IG reports to the secretary. The secretary's on record saying he was appalled in that, that well, Border weaponized horses to attack children. You got the vice president of the United States calling it out. So is it going to be a fair investigation? If you're a special agent in IG, are you going to find them innocent when the, the secretary already convicted them along with the uh, vice president of the United States and, and half of Congress? I don't think this investigation would be fair, and if they don't find these officers innocent, then this whole world world is upside down. When the heroes, the good guys, all of a sudden, call the bad guys, and the bad guys are all of a sudden the victims. I'm in. We're in a place right now I've never seen in my career under this administration, under this administration, and under the Democratic-controlled Congress. You're innocent until proven guilty, unless you wear a uniform.
2: Uh, so true, uh, sadly. Uh, so far, a couple of things. We understand that there was 1,400 Haitian nationals expelled back to Haiti. 3,200 migrants sent to other sectors. One was Tucson, the other, I think, Rio Grande Valley. 5,000 migrants remain in the Del Rio sector. I think it's down to 1,000. Where are they going?
11: Thousands have been released, put on buses, and sent all over the country. A lot of them are going to ICE custody. And ICE will take them, they'll process them, and they'll release them. I talked to numerous field office directors that work for ICE. They get calls every single day on who to release. Now, I'll tell you this. I suspect. The administration will going tell ICE, don't release them right away. We're under a microscope. Wait a few days. But I've talked to five field office directors who said they've been told to release them. So, you know, it's again, it's a shell game, smoke and mirrors. They'll say, no, no, we're going to be removed, but they will be released. More are going to be released than are deported. And that's why the secretary has failed to give the numbers to Congress or the media. When he was in front of Congress, that's one of the numbers. He says, I, I work 18 hours a day. I didn't have time. You know what? He doesn't pull the numbers. I was the ICE director. If I want to know how many people we detained or removed in the last month, I pick up the phone call. I call the staff department. I would have the answer in 15 minutes. These databases can spit that information out in 15 minutes. So the secretary is being dishonest when he says, oh, I'm working 18 hours. He, he assigns his chief of staff to give me those numbers and get the numbers in 15 minutes. They're hiding the numbers. They don't want to admit how many they've released because he stood on that podium and said, don't come because you'll be deported. He lied against the American people because most are being released.
2: So I want you to hear this exchange and give me your assessment. Cut to
11: You say the border is not open, but
7: we're told by our teams on the ground, you guys are releasing pretty much all family units, couples where the woman says that she is pregnant, or single women who say that they are pregnant, and that nobody actually has to take a pregnancy test unless they want to.
10: Are you suggesting you don't believe when women say they're pregnant? Is that a big issue, we think, at the border? I
7: am not in charge of keeping the border secure. Do you, you think guys are. pregnant
10: women are posing a big threat to the border? You tell me. To the border communities? You is that a big me. issue? You tell me. I'm not aware of pregnant women being a big issue of concern to people at the border.
2: Well, tell me, Tom, uh, if you come to the border and say you're pregnant, you're in. Why aren't as every, we have like hundreds of women saying that? What would stop everybody from coming to the border that wants to be in America?
11: Exactly. And what Jen Psaki is missing here is not a matter of being pregnant. Either we have an immigration law. Or we don't. When I was ICE director, we, I had the left pushing me, you shouldn't be detaining pregnant women because the average length of the defense was like 38 days before they saw Judge get move. I said, wait a minute, why, why can't I hold a, a pregnant female for 38 days? Every facility has doctors, nurses, and medical care. She just walked 2,000 miles. That wasn't a problem. So she can't sit in the facility for 38 days under medical care to get her hearing? Either we have an immigration law or we don't. That's what Jen Psaki's missing. There's a law on the books to enforce our immigration laws. We have right to be a sovereign nation. We have right to enforce our immigration laws. I don't care if you're pregnant. I don't care if you're not. I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're white. Either we enforce the laws or we don't. That's why we have 20 million illegal aliens in the country. That's why we have 700,000 people that have been ordered, removed by a judge and failed to leave. Now they're fugitives. The, you know – the law needs to mean something. If if her the administration and Congress doesn't like it, then change it. But as long as the law is on the books, that's what should be enforced. That was what great about President Trump. He came in and first meeting with him when I was director. He looked at me. and said, "Tom, your job now is enforce law. Don't pick and choose what laws you enforce. Enforce the laws on the books. Prioritize what you do, but enforce the law." That's what law enforcement officers do. No one asks the FBI, don't investigate terrorist investigations. No one asks the DEA, oh, don't investigate marijuana investigations. You let the law enforcement agencies need to enforce the laws they've been acted that were enacted by Congress that they've been funded to uh, to enforce. So, Jen Socky's missing the whole point. We're, these people yeah. are violating our immigration law. I know.
2: Yeah, I I feel like I'm in a parallel universe. must be really frustrating for someone who does it. I just can't. There's there's a logic, and it's really a black and white issue, but not the skin color. There's right and wrong. And they wanted to quickly make this about race. Now, all of a sudden, we're favoring Hispanics over blacks. Is that what America is is doing now? It's unbelievable. Um, Tom, thanks so much. I appreciate it.
11: Thanks for having me on, Brian. Keep fighting the fight.
2: Absolutely. Tom Holman, thank you. Hey, your turn, one 408 7669 If the election was today, Donald Trump would beat Joe Biden. But they just did a recount in Arizona with that whole ninja group. What they just found out will surprise you. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade from the fox news podcasts network
8: i'm ben Dominic, publisher of the federalists and i'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going subscribe to the ben Dominic podcast subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. a talk show that's real this
1: is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: A booster shot for older people. Now
8: you're going to have people in Hollywood lying about their age in the opposite direction. People be like, I'm 29, but I can play 72.
2: Uh, that is James Corden. A, a moment of lightness that's apolitical, perhaps. Fresh off his contribution to global warming and fighting against it. And if you want someone fighting against climate change, you want Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel, James Corden... Who else do they have? Seth Meyers, Samantha Bee, uh, the guy from The Daily Show, which took the summer off and no one cared because he gets Emmy Awards, but it's a terrible show. He's not funny. Uh, And that's an interesting thing. Well, Greg Gutfeld's number one was not asked. I do not know if he feels insulted about that, but here's what I'm talking about. Uh, President Biden's approval rating is now more negative than positive. In July, it was at 55 percent. Now it's at 44 percent. Disapproval was at 43 percent in July. Now it's at 53 percent. That's unbelievable. Donald Trump beats him by two points on approval, disapproval. This, Despite the fact that they're still doing the January 6th thing, as if— that uh, That is the only thing that ever happened. They're going to be more subpoenas, and they're going to fight the subpoenas, and this will go on and give Anderson Cooper and Jake Tapper something to talk about and act really concerned about. Because they have nothing. They don't, and I'm so glad that Donald Trump doesn't have social media. They can't jump on Trump, except for January 6th. They have to look at Joe Biden. You're going to focus on Afghanistan? Oops, I probably can't. You want to focus on domestically where the inflation is? I probably can't. When you want to talk about his domestic agenda, let's not talk about that. When you want to talk about his relationship with allies, let's talk about that. France really loves us. NATO really angry at us. And Israel? We have a group of people in the House who are trying to deny funding for the Iron Dome. That's how we treat our allies. Our enemies are walking all over us. Believe it or not, Russia's been quiet. China has not. Stephanie, you're in Houston. Hey,
5: Stephanie. No, I'm in Del Rio.
2: Okay. You're in Del Rio. All right. Where, yeah. So what are you witnessing?
5: Well, I'll tell you, um, for, for months, it started really getting bad like in June. And um, it's just gotten progressively worse. And there was a town hall and a press conference, and Governor Abbott was here, and Chief Ortiz. uh, When Chief Ortiz met with the press, he said, who's our national network here? And only two people that had representatives nationally were Breitbart and Fox News. None of the major news stations were here. And when it started really getting bad, I started contacting my uh, network affiliates for our local news, that comes out of San Antonio, and I asked, I started, and I kept at it. Do you have Do you have reporters down here? How come you don't have reporters down here? This is a national story, but the Al Sharpton thing set people off, set them off.
2: Right, what was who was yelling there? Were you there? Because I could not see reversal. All I heard was yelling.
5: You couldn't. It's difficult to get down there and you're not real sure where they're going. And the traffic is so controlled with all the law enforcement and like today. But I did go because I don't live far from the airport. I mean, we're talking this is not three miles from my house where Al Al Sharpton was.
2: In fact, let's hear it. For those who, who missed it. Al Sharpton wanted to hold a press conference and talk about, I guess, how Joe Biden doesn't like black people. I don't know. Cut 10. Del we Rio is not
12: a racist
6: a city. Del Rio is a the loving, caring community. We, we don't want your racism in Texas. Get out of here. Nobody wants to hear your racist nonsense disgrace. in Del Rio. You're a racist. Nobody wants you in Texas.
2: You got it. Uh I would say it didn't go well. Now they're evidently one of the part of the reason they're looking to scramble to get rid of uh all the Haitians that are underneath the bridge is because there's a Black Lives Matter protest scheduled for today and over the weekend, and they said, we got to stop this. So they are. So they moved on. Ted Cruz has a challenge. Cut 11.
7: Every Democrat who stood up and lamented kids in cages. Representative Ocasio-Cortez has a famous photo of her grasping her head by the kids in cages. Well, I'm going to give a simple challenge for Representative Akasha cortez and for every Democrat in this body. Go see the Biden cages with your own eyes.
2: She won't. And it's a lot worse. And it's a moving target. What I think is terrible is they're putting a lot of these kids and people on military bases because there's not media access to them. It is so wrong. And it is going to be ineffective in the long run. I hear these kids and people going crazy because they're not seeing anything. They're not doing anything. They're just wallowing. Another big story is the Hunter Biden story. Hunter Biden, again, has been linked to another series of emails, Business Insider, as well as Politico. One of those reporters is writing a big book on it. It's not just the emails at that Uh, computer repair place in Delaware. This is other emails, and they've been verified, and we know they were verified. Listen to Tucker Carlson's monologue last night, Cut 17.
7: They all knew it was true at the time. They knew within hours of the first New York Post story that that really was the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop. Everybody knew it, everybody, especially Joe Biden. His texts and emails were all over the laptop. Of course he knew they were real. He wrote them. But the media lied on his behalf. Then Biden got elected because they covered for him. And now that he is president, they can admit, in fact, it's all true. Too late. It's true. Politico finally got around to confirming that every bit of the New York Post reporting on Hunter Biden's laptop was absolutely accurate. It wasn't Russian
2: disinformation,
7: it was totally real.
2: I wanted to see the first time. Liam Panetta seems to be a reasonable guy a lot of times, but and he comes on our network most of the time with Neil Cavuto. He's got to be asked about this. Why did you sign off as one of the 50 intelligence professionals that former CIA director and say this was Russian disinformation? You don't stick a crackhead with a laptop that implicates his dad on Russian disinformation.
8: With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
2: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. We're going to be joined by an esteemed immunologist talking about why he's off the Biden bandwagon when it comes to this vaccine. And by the way, the president's son trying to up his approval ratings again, trying to make everyone feel bad for not getting vaccinated or hearing the same thing over and over again. Nobody's going to get vaccinated because Joe Biden told them to. They're going to mandate it. They're going to force it, causing undue harm to countless businesses. In New York, they've mandated all, uh, all teachers as well as medical workers get vaccinated. And guess what they're going to lose? They're going to lose a lot of teachers and they're going to lose a lot of medical workers because people don't like to be told what to do. Big three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
3: There's been a tremendous amount of criticism of the Biden administration's handling of multiple foreign policy issues recently. The chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan, the border crisis, it appears the administration has mismanaged a lot of these issues.
2: Yes, I would say so. And that question was to Anthony Blinken. Getting serious. The administration is so inept at foreign policy. They're off to such a terrible start. We're now losing to China on our own hem in our own hemisphere as they're going after allies and trade deals in Central and South America. As Afghanistan slowly breaks all uh all their reform pledges and begins their seventh century rules and practices while americans and allies languish in their country
5: number two
4: the evidence was overwhelming from the very beginning that the uh, emails were authentic and yet they lied and lied and lied as you just showed trying to convince people to not even pay attention to them on the grounds that they were disinformation that the emails were fake
2: uh there is Uh, Glenn Greenwald Uh, The Hunter hijinks It's uh, It's getting way too real Way too late Now Business Insider and Politico Begin to know what the New York Post revealed And that Hunter Biden was up to no good Doing international business deals Trading on his dad's name The question is How much did his dad know It does not look good
5: Number one
10: We've seen a lot of speeches out there by Republicans, by others who are talking about what's happening at the border being critical. What we haven't seen is a plan proposed, and that's what we really need to do to address this over the long term, even as we're addressing the current situation in Del Rio and at the border as we speak.
2: Uh, Yeah, that's incompetence personified at the border, mixed in with flat-out deception and lies. That's how I describe what the Haitian bridge surge mess is all about. It becomes clearer by the day. If you come to our southern border, you are going to get in. And unless we had our drone team down there with great reporting... You would not have even known how bad this situation was with these Haitians. And now this administration is focusing on horses and Haitians instead of talking about how you could let this thing get out of control, reverse all the Trump policies. And it is revealed that they did push to keep him in place, did some of his advisors because the border was under control. But he said, no, it's too toxic. We're going to reverse the Remain in Mexico policy and also that policy, the first country you cross into, you have to apply for Amnesty from that country. That was key. So this way you're not going to be walking up through four nations and made things easier on Mexico as well. And that is why we're in such a mess there. So here is what we heard this morning. Jen Psaki, quick to blame somebody else. Cut one.
10: This needs a longer term fix, and that's why the president proposed an immigration bill his first day in office. Now, we've seen that parts of it were proposed in the reconciliation package that's moving its way through. The parliamentarian considered a piece members of the Senate are gonna come back with another proposal but Fundamentally, what we need to do here is we need to pass a new immigration law. We need to fix the system over the long term. We've seen a lot of speeches out there uh, by Republicans, by others who are talking about what's happening at the border, being critical. What we haven't seen is a plan proposed. And that's what we really need to do to address this over the long term, uh, even as we're addressing the current situation in Del Rio and at the border as we speak.
2: So, listen, she's got to spin her way out of this, but the plan's got to come from the White House, number one. If it's going to come from Congress, it starts with border security. And Senator Schumer wants to let everybody in. That's not going to work. In 2006... Joe Biden and Senator Schumer said, We got to build a wall. We got to build a fence. We got to build a barrier. We got to get control of our southern border. I could pull this sound back. Same people keep the jobs forever so we can pull their sound back and let you know exactly how they've changed their tune. Now they think that in this proposal that the parliamentarian took out over the weekend on reconciliation, she's just talking about naturalizing 8 to 14 million people who got here illegally. That's not a plan. That's something that's supposed to be in a budget-only bill. And when the parliamentarian looked at it and said, what does immigration have to do with budget? No, you can't do that. So they were going back and forth yesterday over and over again. If you're pregnant, you get in. If you're a, if you're a female, you get in. If you're a kid, you get in. If you're a male, you go back. If you're with a family, you get in. Just terrible. What is the story on the ground? This Del Rio Border Patrol union president was there with Sarah Carter for Sean Hannity last night. Listen to this exchange. Cut seven.
10: Agents overall are feeling like it's coming down on them, like no one's doing anything to resolve the real problem. Instead, they've become the scapegoat for the administration and for others. Is that what you're hearing as well? That's fair. I, the agents
4: in question, they're still around, they're still working, they're still doing their job. They're just not on horseback. In fact, uh, the the horse patrol unit for here in Del Rio sector has been essentially placed on a timeout while they investigate uh, what took place. The frustrating part for the agents is this is what we've been dealing with all year. Maybe not this, to this to this magnitude, the number of people we see here, but all year our, st- our stations have been full. Uh, we've been maxed out. Morale is is basically as low as it could be. Uh, everybody's stress levels are through the roof. And it's just we haven't
2: been able to do our job. And that is the story. And when they do a thorough investigation, if it's done through law enforcement and not through politicians, these guys will all be exonerated and they be actually should be praised. That would be the story, the correct story. So on foreign policy, and by the way, th- before we move on, Joe Biden is having a press conference right now, the president of the United States. He got a question on the border Listen to his answer.
0: You said on the campaign
10: trail that you were going to restore the moral standing of the U.S., that you were going to immediately end Trump's assault on the dignity of immigrant communities. Given what we saw at the border this week,
0: have you failed in that promise? And this is happening under your watch. Do you take responsibility for the chaos that's unfolding?
8: Of course I take responsibility. I'm president, but it was horrible what
2: to see, as you saw. To see people treated like they did, horses barely running them over, people being strapped. It's outrageous. I promise you, those people will pay. They will be an investigation underway now, and there will be consequences.
8: There will be. But it's beyond an embarrassment. It's dangerous. It's wrong. It sends the wrong message around the world. It sends the wrong message at home. It's simply not who we are.
2: Okay. number one. Know what the wrong message is? 15,000 Haitians under a bridge in 120 degree temperatures because you have not made it clear, and your b- borders are known as a vice president has not made it clear. Don't come, you're not going to get in. You make these pre- speeches to us. We already know that. The way it should be, but we know you have no enforcement, and nobody was being scrapped, nobody was touched, and if he actually took some time to be a responsible president, he would have looked for himself and now quickly jumped on the other side of a law enforcement issue again. How any cop or firefighter could vote for him and family member, vote for a Democrat, the way they're currently constitute outside of Joe Manchin, who said some positive things about law enforcement that I know of, is beyond me. It's like you don't like your people that uh, that do your job, so... Quick thing as I pivot and we continue to watch him take uh, questions uh, from uh, from press. If when we get a good one, we will bring it to you. On foreign policy, what a disaster he's been. For example, in France, top U.S. diplomat speaking to reporters, the U.N. General Assembly said that they had met with French uh, the minister, his counterpart, on, and they tried to mend fences after the Australian uh, nuclear missile, nuclear submarine deal that cost them maybe $100 billion dollars. On the Iran deal, it's been a total disaster. I don't want them to go back into the deal, but they wanted to. Iran is not budging. They are stalling, and they continue to move forward on their nuclear capabilities and their nuclear weapons program, which they deny they have, but our surveillance shows they're doing it. The Biden administration on the world stage tarnished precipitously, maybe forever, after the way they left Afghanistan, the lack of communication with NATO, and the fact that we still have people behind enemy lines, and so does NATO, and people that helped us out, which is a bad message should we want to work out, work with anybody else around the world. Then we look at what's going on with China. You could not have more of a disaster. Josh Rogan outlined it wonderfully today in his Washington Post column. He says, the problem in China's actions don't match President Xi's words. The Chinese government has responded to the Biden foreign policy's team's repeated outreach attempts with antagonism. I'll give you an example. White House Press Secretary, excuse me, Secretary of State, uh, Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman, visited China to establish working-level ties. Chinese authorities just sent a whole time, criticizing the U.S. in a news release. Beijing used former Secretary of State John Kerry's repeated trips to China to send a clear signal that China will not cooperate on climate change. They made him do a Zoom call with some deputy, and, and even though he was in China, there to have a one-on-one meeting when they met with the president of the Taliban, but they wouldn't meet with the former Secretary of State. And meanwhile, diplomatic failures have also hurt because President Biden picked the phone, talked to President Xi, and nothing at all has changed. Anthony Blinken got blasted in Anchorage, was told we no longer have the moral standard. Now we've begun to compromise our integrity and beliefs, for example. President uh, President Biden promises to press China, allowing a real investigation to the origin of the virus. They have quietly shelved that idea of pressuring China to find the origin of the virus. Blinken has softened his tone on Hong Kong and the protests. Since then, we don't even bring it up. And meanwhile, the Justice Department has dropped cases against Chinese researchers indicted for concealing their links to the Chinese military. So we're giving in and it's showing the antagonism works and intimidated. We're the economic superpower, we're being approached and breached by China and we look nothing but weak. When we come back, I'll take your calls 18664087669 and bring you more of the highlights as President Biden continues to take some questions.
1: Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News
8: Podcasts Network. My
12: name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will
0: I humbly say single-handedly save the world. You're
8: welcome. It's Kennedy saves the world. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like
1: no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
11: Del Rio
12: is not a racist city. Del Rio is a loving, caring community. We don't want your racism in Texas. Get out of here. Nobody wants to
2: hear your racist nonsense in El Rio. You ever call a press conference and everyone scream at the same time? Well, that's exactly what happened to Al Sharpton. He went down to the border. Please tell me what he accomplished. Was anything worthwhile? Today, it's Black Lives Matter, and the administration is so scared about it, they got rid of 15,000 Haitians in about 48 hours. We don't know where they are, but we know that Joe Biden went out of his way to condemn what he said was horrible pictures to make us look bad around the world as uh, Border Patrol agents on horses whipped people. Not true. He made no effort to find out the truth. And of everything going on, as Commander-in-Chief, why wouldn't you be more responsible about that? Because... I'll answer, because it scores when it comes to race. Race scores with his base. Geraldo Rivera joins us now. Uh, Fox News correspondent at large, author of The Geraldo Show. You see him all over the channel. Uh, Geraldo, uh, do you think And friend of Brian. Right, absolutely. Do you think Al Sharpton's happy he went down to Texas today?
6: I was surprised Al wasn't on a horse. He would have uh, completed (laughs) the uh, (laughs) the saga. (laughs) Al on a horse. You know, I I, I remember putting Al when he was a a lot— Chubbier on with Ann Coulter. They used to be regulars on my CNBC show. I I always delighted in uh, in that pairing, Ann Coulter and Al Sharpton. I think that the situation uh, that they flocked to the border to uh, uh, to exploit or or to uh, alleviate or mitigate, uh, take your take your pick. Uh, now that they have dispersed all of the migrants that were under that bridge in that squalid dispersed. camp in Del Rio, yeah. uh, it, and and. What worries me, Brian, about your tone, and you know I love you and I'm the biggest fan of yours, uh, you make it sound as if uh, these, uh, uh, you know, these disease-carrying ne'er-do-wells are now uh, set loose in our country. You paint a picture that I think is way – it's it's overreacting. Uh, Haitians. Uh, you know, get screwed in uh, immigration. They don't get asylum, unlike the Cubans. Uh, but they managed to get here. There's over a million Haitians in the United States, 150,000 here in New York City. Uh, they become entrepreneurs, They business people. They, uh, right, you know, and, they they have, uh, and they shouldn't do it the right way? way. They, buy houses. they shouldn't well, do it the right uh, way? They
2: shouldn't I, apply for asylum I, the right way? I
6: don't way. think, I, I, you know, you make an excellent point. There's no, there's no coming back. I mean, I can't uh, counter that argument that everyone should come in the right way. Uh, the problem is when the quota is tiny and the need is so great. Remember, I was in Haiti uh, with you, and uh, you remotely. I poor I, Fox conference. I was there in 2010 for that horrible earthquake that killed hundreds and devastated, even collapsed the presidential uh, palace in Haiti. It's it's been downhill ever since for Haiti. They're the poorest nation in the hemisphere. Uh, They're desperate. Their president was just assassinated uh, in a coup attempt.
2: Uh, You know, I'll I'll broaden it out, make it easier. If it was just Haiti under a bridge, 15th, there would be no issue. It would be a one day story. But this has been an eight month story of a massive surge at the border. And it's nothing to do with the color of their skin or their heritage. It's just the way you do it. And the people that are being vilified now are the border agents who are underpaid, underappreciated, and overworked.
6: You know, that. I again, I'm at the airport if you hear noise in the background. Uh, that is also true. And I'm a big fan of all of our uniformed services. And the Border Patrol doesn't deserve the vilification that they are getting. Uh, whoever had the horse's uh, idea was a... Was dopey because it, uh, how could you not know it was going to be a, a horrible visual? And no one can deny that it's a horrible visual, whether they use a lariat or a whip or a rein or a you know uh, whether it's twirling or you know it, it, it looks bad. It looked you got these. these did it look, uh, did it you know, look worse in uh, the fifteen thousand in lean twos?
2: Geraldo, did it look worse than the 15,000 lean twos? That's what he wants to talk about. He wants to talk about how he assumed, never made the effort to call, how he assumed law enforcement did the wrong thing. I've never, I've never had to deal, have a, a horse go across a river. But there were rains hitting the horse. Not one person got hit by a rain.
6: But, you know, there wouldn't be this, this uh, even this talking point, if they had been more sensible about how the public would respond, most Americans are not cowboys. We don't know from horses. We know horses and cops and crowd control. Uh, you know when the uh, when the cops seem surrounded by hostile people. These Haitian refugees are anything but hostile. They're you know they're carrying their life belongings with them. There's little. Uh, but by the way, they are, involved, I guess you weren't of
2: one of the ICE of agents attacked on that plane or the bus driver that was hit. Uh, they evidently. That, that, that's
6: exaggerating. Uh, I think that's exaggerating. Uh, I mean, because it, you no, were not one of the ICE they,
2: agents that got attacked.
6: No, let me let me let me give you a, a counter to that. How would you feel if you left the desperation of Haiti, managed to get yourself to South America, get to Chile or Paraguay? And then now you walk and you walk the entire continent. You go through the Darien Gap that separates Colombia from Panama. Oh, you my. walk all through Central America. Who told and them to leave? If they were that Mexico. happy in Brazil,
2: they should have stayed. There's risk. They knew that but, when but, they come to the U.S., they I got bad information.
6: Ang- I think your anger is is misguided. I think you've got to have pity. You have to have some pity.
2: No, you have to have some compassion. we $28 trillion in debt. We can't take in everyone's refugees. We have a system in place. I am for law enforcement doing their job, and this administration Ignored the previous administrations' uh, policies that were in place; that at least to they me, tried.
6: I, I, I just have pity. I just have pity. I don't. I feel sorry for the border patrol agents who have been vilified, but uh, but more than anything, I'm looking at these uh, this tired, they're poor, these huddled masses yearning to breathe free, as Emma Lazarus. Punching wrote ice in, agents. Uh, 1892.
2: Punching ice agents, fantastic. Uh, thanks, Geraldo. Uh We're going to talk to an expert next on the pandemic
8: from the fox news Podcasts network download and listen to the one with craig gutfeld the co-host of the five like you've never heard him before you know him you love him you want to be like him subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com
1: the more you listen the more you'll know it's brian kilmeade
2: I'm not denying at all that people who get infected and recover
7: have a considerable degree of immunity. We also know, and I think we should not let this pass without saying it, that when you get infected and recover, A, you get a good degree of immunity, but B, when you get vaccinated, you dramatically increase that protection, which is something that's really quite good.
2: Dr. Human Noor-Chasm joins us right now. Uh, he's an MD, PhD, and immunologist, and uh, he sees what goes on right now. We are in desperate need of expertise without a political uh, axe to grind. And, uh, doctor, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show.
13: Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for having me.
2: Hey, first off, on this, uh, there's so many revelations, so many things in and around this pandemic. Do you believe we're leveling off now when it comes to the Delta variant?
13: Well, uh, you know, I, look, I think uh, it's, it's kind of a tough question to answer because I, I, I do think that we have probably about 30 percent of our population still that's uh, not immune. And really, as, as I've said before to to you and, and to a couple other folks, is, is that the Achilles heel of this pandemic is immunity. And if, you know, the, the more of the population is immune, um, the, the more likely it is that we'll, we'll kick, kick this thing in the bucket. So with, with about 30 percent of America is still unimmune, I suspect that um this winter, as the furnaces go on and it starts to get a little colder, um we're probably going to see a surge especially with this delta variant I, I do think the delta variant's real in terms of its uh, you know increased transmissibility compared to the prior iteration, so you know it may be a little bit of a tough winter.
2: Where do you stand with natural immunity
13: uh well, you know I, look, I think natural immunity is is as of as you and I have discussed before is Is uh, is basically the mother of all vaccinations, as Dr. Fauci himself has said in the past. You know, so look, the reason why we know and Operation Warp Speed knew that um, this vaccine is going to be very highly likely to be effective was that natural infection itself was effective. In fact, there, there, you know, there are viral infections like the HIV virus infection, for example, where a natural infection does not protect you from subsequent infection. That's not the case with COVID. You know, with COVID. Operation Warp Speed very quickly knew that the vaccine would work because natural infection itself would work, right? So, um, you know, I, I think uh, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but basically, we have you know one of the most unprecedented aspects of this this pandemic is that we have about a twenty to thirty percent of our population already naturally uh, immune and infected. Uh, this is this amounts to about eighty to one hundred million people, according to CDC, and these folks, the vast majority of them, are equally if not better immune uh, than. Than um, uh, vaccinated people, and, you know that's, that's an analysis that my colleagues and I recently did and published. Um, you know um, the FDA is aware of it. I think Dr. Fauci himself knows that this is the case. So. So when you talk
2: about uh, 75% of the of the eligible vaccine recipients have gotten at least one shot, 64% have gotten two shots. So. Yeah. If you factor that in with the natural immunity from asymptomatic spread, whatever you have, whether you knew you had it or had it, why are we not in herd immunity yet? I would think if if those numbers were bounced off you when this first started, you would think we'd be there already.
13: Well, look. You got to factor in the fact that you know we already know at under best conditions the mRNA vaccines are only about 90% effective, which means 10% of people, one out of 10 people who get the mRNA vaccines are not optimally vaccinated. When you you talk about things like Johnson and Johnson, you're talking under optimal conditions, under clinical trial, you have about 34% inefficiency. You know they they were advertised as being 66% efficient. So you're talking about somewhere around 10 to 40% of people are getting fully vaccinated, not being optimally immune. So so really that's that's why you know my push has been to to actually uh, you know really look carefully at immunity as the yardstick, not um, not uh, whether you're not whether or not you're vaccinated, and that goes for both you know naturally infected people as well as vaccinated people. Like you know I can tell you like um, I I know from personal experience there there are people who've gotten fully vaccinated who have no detectable antibody in their blood. Okay, that means that even though you're walking around you know thinking that you're you know you're 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 immune you're indestructible because you got this great vaccine there's going to be a certain fraction of people you know anywhere from 10 to 40% actually who are actually not immune even though they think they're immune right so that's why we need to f- rely functionally on on very liberal antibody testing but but unfortunately our FDA came out on May 19th and discouraged antibody testing i think it's essentially because they they're worried that if Americans actually realize how what the, what the real inefficiency rate is of the vaccine, that, that they will lose faith in the vaccine. So it's really a strategic blunder on the part of the FDA and Dr. Fauci to be discouraging antibody testing. This is the gold standard for immunity. Every American deserves to know what the status of their personal immunity is to COVID nineteen? It's as, just a mistake to block that.
2: And, and as a PhD immunologist, you're a doctor professional. Uh, maybe this is not your area of expertise, but the average person who doesn't have your expertise starts to distrust the medical uh, the medical profession because they said, "Wait a second, we all know that if you have it, you got uh, your have natural immunity. How come that's never taken into account? How come they just keep saying this is a whole pandemic?" This pandemic and the Delta variant is of the for the unvaccinated when we know they're vaccinated people in the hospital. So when you see things, when you f- see things in in your real life that are different than what they're telling you, you just stop trusting people.
13: Brian, it's been it's been the, the, the absolute greatest disaster in public messaging, I think, in U.S. public health history. OK, because and, and really the reason is that they're actually walking away from the science. The science is very simple here. If you're immune, you're immune. And how you assess immunity is with antibodies, right? I mean, that's a gold standard assessment, right? The, the, the reality is that if you actually tell that to everyday Americans, it's like, look, you know, look, for example, when, when, when you're a male, you, you get your prostate, the PSA measured, right? When you, when you hit the age of 40 or 50, you start measuring your PSAs. Why do you do that? You do that to determine whether or not you have prostate cancer. Or let's say when you hit 50, you start getting colonoscopies, right? Why is that? Because colonoscopy will show you if you have masses in your colon that may be cancerous, right? This this is how we do medicine in this country in a personalized way. Now, I'm telling you and I'm telling your audience that we have the single most powerful measure – of susceptibility to infection is whether or not you have these antibodies. In fact, the antibodies were, were the reason why we knew that the vaccines would work because the companies like Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson & Johnson, when they talk about vaccine efficacy, what they're talking about is the capacity of the vaccine to induce antibodies in your body, right? So in, when, when your body produces antibodies against COVID, right, that's how they measure efficacy. Now here we are We have access to this assay. We're living in the most technologically advanced country in the world. We put a rover on Mars, for God's sake, and a simple test is being blocked from everyday Americans that will allow them to know if they're susceptible or not. It's very simple. If you don't have antibodies, you are susceptible to getting COVID-19. So do something about it. It doesn't matter what it is. If you want to stay home for it, that's fine. You don't want to get the vaccine, stay home. But if you don't have antibodies, my personal experience, Brian, has been with patients who are hesitant about the vaccine. When when I tell them this and they go get their blood drawn and they look at their antibody screen and it's negative, half of them go get vaccinated.
2: You, you mean you treat adults like adults. I was fascinated to see this doctor. Yeah. Uh, talking to Nor, uh, Dr. Norcasm, he's an immunologist. Uh, I was fascinated to see that uh, PhDs and college edu- and high school educated people are the two groups that are the least vaccinated. So it doesn't mean you're a knucklehead, tr- knuckle-dragging Trump supporter, as they described on the left too often, if you're not vaccinated. There's other very intelligent people, like, for example, a third of the medical professionals would rather lose their job than get vaccinated than have real questions about it. And to ridicule yep. them and yell at them is not going to work.
13: Well look fundamentally in our country I think I think we we're based in sort of a respect for individuality the moment your government starts to disrespect the individual opinions and thoughts of of individual Americans, that's when when it starts to cause problems, right? Now I can tell you the healthcare workers who aren't getting vaccinated, a whole heck of a lot of them have had COVID before, right? And a lot of them basically know very intrinsically, very very viscerally, they know if I've had an infection before and I was I was sick as sick as heck, you know, three months ago. Why are they forcing me to get the vaccine? So. A large proportion of healthcare workers who are not getting the vaccine are actually previously infected. I'm not saying it's all of them, but I think it's a large proportion. I happen to think if you're a healthcare worker and you're not immune, you should get vaccinated. And the reason is you don't want to acquire it and give it to your patients. It's sort of like a, you know, and, and the folks who are in that category and refusing it are sort of like, it would be sort of like a police officer saying, I'm not going to respond to a 911 call because I'm, I'm worried about getting shot, right? Well, you shouldn't be a police officer then, right? So if you're not immune as a healthcare worker, you should do something about getting vaccinated and getting immune, okay? But I'm, I'm, I'm just saying the vast majority of the healthcare workers who are refusing it are actually people who are already immune from a natural infection, right? But fundamentally, what you said is absolutely right. It comes down to the way in which government and the way in which the Biden administration has been treating individual Americans' opinions and fears, right? If you, if you level with people in an honest, authentic, decent way, explain to them what the rationale is, right? Um, then you get a different response than if you just beat your chest and tell everybody to you know, get vaccinated. Otherwise, they, they, they're idiot knuckleheads who you know, pose a threat to the nation. right? It, you know, people don't want to be treated that way. And in reality, what the problem here is, is that the Biden administration has stepped away from the science of immunology. They're, they're laser focused on getting everyone vaccinated, despite the fact that about a third of the country is already immune. This doesn't make any sense.
2: And we never talk about therapeutics, but one of the quotes you had is, the president of the White House are irreversibly breaking America, and he used analogy. He said on 9-11, every American understood what happened. They understood who the cause, the result was massive unity. Now we have yes. this. You're an expert in the area. Most Americans are not. And there's there's differing opinions and there's a lack of respect and candor. And the result is America is broken in the middle of this pandemic. Now, we don't have this unique to us. I'm looking at it happening with France, with their massive mandates. Australia reminds me of China. I get it. You know, if there's one case in New Zealand, they lock down the entire country. That isn't accurate either. But just looking at America, you go on to say you regret voting for President Biden. You thought you'd get something different.
13: That's right. I, I did, and, and it, was, it, was a, it was a dramatic mistake. I, you know, my, my major criticism of President Trump wasn't his policies. I think I think President Trump had some some um, you know on target policies when it came to the southern border, when it came to the Middle East, you know, when it came to monetary policy. Uh, the, the problem that I had with President Trump was he seemed to tend to pour gasoline on a lot of wounds that this country has. You know, we live in a plural country. And and people have sensitivities and difficulties and a history. And and you know, once you become president of the United States, you know, in my opinion, and again this is just my opinion and a lot of people have disagreed with me and thrown eggs at me for it, but when you become president of the United States, you know, if there's a whole group of people who are very sensitive or hypersensitive about the stuff that you say, you should just tone it down and be their president too. And that was my biggest criticism of President Trump. It wasn't his policy. That's fair. Was his policies on the nose. That's more and, than and so fair. I, and, and and you know so so I thought that someone like Biden who who you know has been in the in government for a long time and seems like a reasonable guy and he says he's going to decide he'll take down the temperature a little bit and bring a little bit of civil order, but of course he's turned into a massive disaster. I mean everything from the southern border to Afghanistan. And you don't have to be an expert to to, to see all that, right? But when it came to this thing with the vaccine mandates, you know. I know I know a little something about this, right? And when he started beating his chest that thir- on that Thursday press conference, uh, was it 3 weeks ago now Brian, yep. right? Beating his chest about pointing to a class of Americans that's about 80 to 100 million large, right? Where millions of these people are uh, just, you know, fundamentally because they're immune, because they viscerally understand that they got the disease and they're immune, and they don't want to get it. And now here we are, threatening their jobs, threatening their educational opportunities. I mean, this, this is the this is the biggest, most vastest constitutional violation a president of the United States could possibly be engaged in against the American people. Right now, you, you, let, let's go back. You, you you mentioned something about 9/11, and I and I briefly touched on it when we you and I did the interview. Right. The the idea is this, right? When you see two planes crash into two buildings and the buildings come down, nobody misses what happens, right? An external force hit us, right? And doesn't matter if you were red, blue, or purple, you saw exactly what happened, right? Everyone united, right? Here we are now with this COVID thing. First of all, the scale of the COVID catastrophe is probably about a hundred times at least the the, the scale of 9-11 in terms of just fatalities. It was an external force that hit us, okay? And let's make no mistake about it, okay? You know, again, I'm not saying it's in a xenophobic way. This thing came from a very specific place and hit us and hit our allies, right? And it's killed a couple hundred thousand people in America and probably a couple million in the the Western Hemisphere. The problem is that in America, everyone's perception of what this thing is, is is different, right? Everyone's seeing it different, okay? And so we can't unite, and the, and, the, and the Biden administration is making it worse by not focusing on the science. The science is the science of immunology. If every American understood that there's a piece of information that they could have that would actually protect them, and that's your antibody levels. If you, you know, this is a gold standard in medicine for immunity. If you know if you have antibodies against SARS-CoV-2 yeah. or not – You can make the right decision.
2: Should we, real quick, on this booster thing, we know the President of the United States comes out in August and says, we're all going to get boosters. And then the FDA comes out and goes, no, we shouldn't, Uh, 65 and up. And then we have the uh, CDC director, Trump, our advisory board, and come out with a different theory. Where do you stand on boosters for 65 and up? Where do you stand on boosters for 50 and up, 40 and up?
13: So, so, look, uh, I mean, I think, I think, again, if you implement one-size-fits-all in any way, I think you're going to make a mistake. The, the issue is the immunity. Look, I have, a, I have my parents who are in their, in, close to 80 years old, okay? They got vaccinated back in February, and they, have a, they still have a very high level of antibody. Now, I have a friend who is also 80 years old, got a Moderna shot. Yesterday, he calls me up, and he says, hey, doc, I got, I got my antibody. Like, what do you think about that? He's got a very low level. He got the same antibody as my parents but at the same time. His levels are really low. So he should get boosted, but I'm not going to boost get my parents boosted because I know their level of antibody is stable, right? So, again, it we, comes down to the yeah. idea of we, we can't just say, okay, we're just going to boost everybody above 65 and forget about the 40-year-old whose, antibody, whose vaccine didn't work for him. You know? Gotcha. Doctor, it, I, again, I have to
2: leave it there, but that makes a lot of sense, and sure. you did an antibody test. They don't want to give us that. I don't know why. If they're costly, uh, Dr. Norcasm, immunologist, Ph.D., M.D., Extremely critical of the public health system right now as it relates to this pandemic. Thanks so much, Doctor
13: Brian. Thanks for having me, man. You got
2: it. Important, uh, important. He's taught, He's an immunologist. That's his profession. He says, "Why are we not getting? Why are we not getting anybody tests?" Back in a moment.
1: Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What makes it so hard for to get them to pay at least 20, 25
15: percent of their income in taxes? Uh, why, why is capital taxed at such a lower rate uh, than income? And how high of a priority is it for the president to actually... Finally, have you know, for us to finally have a president do something about it.
10: It's a huge priority for him. And why is it so hard, Joe? Politics. I mean, it's hard because of politics, which is crazy. Because how can we, how could anyone, regardless of your party, be advocating for someone who's a millionaire or a billionaire to pay a lower rate than a nurse or a teacher? Uh, But there are, you know, there are a lot of people in the Republican Party, uh, and there there are even some in the Democratic Party who are worried that this is bad politics. I have news for you it is not. It is good politics. It's also what's morally right. We should make our tax system more fair, but we're going to have to keep fighting this fight to get things across the finish line.
2: That is such a joke. Number one, why would you ask a policy question like that with such detail to a spokesperson? Number two, he's supposed to be a conservative Republican and no one's been taxing at a less rate. The people with the most income get a, a higher tax rate. What it is, is investment income is the capital gains. That's the difference. And you shouldn't double it because it. Retards holds back. It stops people from investing, which brings in more revenue, which allows more people to be hired and allows more people to earn money where they can actually put it back into the system. That's a theory that I thought Joe Scarborough understood. And maybe we should just, maybe one question about why Joe Biden didn't pay $500,000 in taxes when he earned $13 million in speeches and whoever, whatever Hunter Biden brought home. He missed $500,000 in taxes. Can someone bring that up?
1: Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so
2: much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Shannon Bream at the top of the hour, and we're going to talk to Lieutenant Colonel, now retired, Scott Mann, who put together Operation Task Force Pineapple, doing the best we can, he can, to get our people out of Afghanistan. He's retired Green Parade. He's got Navy SEALs, diplomats, reporters, Uh, experts in evacuations working with him Uh, and now the Defense Department they say is helping him out he's gonna give us the latest because I know a lot of you care so let's get to the big three
1: now with the stories you need to know it's Brian's big three
3: number three there's been a tremendous amount of criticism of the Biden administration's handling of multiple foreign policy issues recently the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan the border crisis It appears the administration has mismanaged a lot of these issues.
2: Yes, that was a question to Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, uh, which left him startled. Getting serious, the administration so inept at foreign policy, we're now losing to China in our own hemisphere. Afghanistan slowly breaks all their reform pledges and begins their 7th century rules and practices while Americans and allies languish uh, in our country.
5: Number two.
4: The evidence was overwhelming from the very beginning that the uh, emails were authentic, and yet they lied and lied and lied, as you just showed, trying to convince people to not even pay attention to them on the grounds that they were disinformation, that the emails were fake.
2: Amazing. Uh, But that's true. The Hunter hijinks. It's getting way too real a year too late. Now Business Insider joins uh, Politico in uncovering and verifying Hunter's wild name trading business deals. We'll bring you the latest.
10: Number one. We've seen a lot of speeches out there by Republicans, by others who are talking about what's happening at the border, being critical. What we haven't seen is a plan proposed, and that's what we really need to do to address this over the long term, even as we're addressing the current situation in Del Rio and at the border as we speak.
2: Yeah, we need a plan proposed. How about it starts with border security? Are you new to are you new to the neighborhood? Incompetence personified at the border, mixed with flat-out deception and lies. That's how I describe the Haitian bridge surge mess, as it becomes clearer that if you come to our southern border, you get a get-in-country-free card. Uh, This cannot stand. Shannon Bream joins us now, Fox News legal correspondent, anchor of a great show, uh, Fox News at Night. Uh, Shannon, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Where do they all go, Shannon? Why are we down to just a few thousand? Last uh, last week we were talking 15,000.
14: Yeah, well, I mean, that's a good question. And and Peter Doocy, uh, to his ever credit, is always pushing at the White House saying, like, listen, you're telling us to go to DHS. They're telling us to go to another place. Like, can you guys not just give us a number? It's like, you know, Tom Homan was on our air yesterday, a former acting ICE director who said, listen, we spend millions of dollars on these data systems and tracking. If I needed to know something, i call somebody up and say, like, hey, what are the numbers from last month? And I have an answer in 15 minutes. I mean, his argument is that they know, and it's not good. So they don't want to tell us.
2: Absolutely. Here's a little um, of uh, Jen Psaki yesterday at the border. Cut one.
10: This needs a longer term fix. And that's why the president proposed an immigration bill his first day in office. Now, we've seen that parts of it were proposed in the reconciliation package that's moving its way through the parliamentarian considered a piece. Members of the Senate are going to come back with another proposal. But Fundamentally, what we need to do here is we need to pass a new immigration law. We need to fix the system over the long term. We've seen a lot of speeches out there uh, by Republicans, by others who are talking about what's happening at the border, being critical. What we haven't seen is a plan proposed. And that's what we really need to do to address this over the long term, uh, even as we're addressing the current situation. In Del Rio and at the border, as we
2: speak. Yeah, but it's not just in Del Rio; it's Tucson. It's all throughout New Mexico. It's all throughout Arizona. But no place worse than Texas. And that was heard today in an interview setting, Shannon. So she wants something comprehensive. Forget it. That's going to take months. They don't. They not have days. People are caught up in the Haiti situation. That is a, That's just a couple of we a one week story. This has been an eight month uh, de escalation of all things security.
14: Yeah, and the thing is, we all know that getting something done on Capitol Hill is going to take a miracle. Republicans have controlled White House, House, and Senate. Democrats have controlled White House, House, and Senate. And it hasn't gotten done. I mean, we – we have to call on our lawmakers to get their act together, to actually get something long-term done. But knowing that what President Trump did was a lot of executive orders and things that he could do. The president has that power. President Biden has the power to use executive orders. He has done that quite a bit. And it's, it's the one thing that presidents can kind of do when Congress can't get its act together. So President Trump had done a number of things with the border that the people who work there, nonpartisan, part of border control or whatever their job is, said actually scaled back the numbers. We get numbers from These agencies that are nonpartisan agencies, it's just data. And just looking at data, not through the lens of a party, you can tell the difference between a year ago and now. So there are actions that a lot of people think that the uh, government could take. And as we've talked about, there are Democrats and Republicans alike begging this administration for help on a daily basis in that region.
2: So, uh, Shannon, so the other big story this week and next week is going to be the bipartisan bill at $1.2 trillion and the $3.5 trillion. John Vande of Axios weighed in on what the problem is and what is at stake for this president.
7: A lot of advisors in and around the White House are worried that the president might have been too greedy in going for the $3.5 trillion deal in addition to the infrastructure plan. At the time he really wanted to sort of be up there with lbj and fdr in terms of the reach of what democrats could do with full democratic control and now they're worried uh, that it's backfiring that it's making it a lot harder to get some of these priorities done that might have been able to get through in smaller chunks when you try to wrap them into one big package and what happened is you're trying to do that and you're trying to do infrastructure and you have to lift the debt limit uh, that's a lot uh, for washington to do uh, especially when you have such Narrow majorities and now you know some uh, people in the White House worry we might not even get it done this year uh, It could get pushed into next year you push these things into next year into an election year It only complicates uh, matters and so we'll see there's still lots of negotiations uh, Going on it's pretty hard to see that they're ever going to get anywhere near the 3.5 trillion But there's still lots of talks about maybe getting about half of that
2: uh, I guess but the 1.2 is a different story that's something that's got 19 Republicans supporting it but, in the House, they won't vote on it until they get the three point five if you're a uh, a a wild left winger so I don't know if he asked for too much, but it's the Bernie Sanders agenda
14: well and the thing is, Jim makes the perfect point there, which we all knew when the dust settled on this election and those Georgia runoffs there is a very narrow margin in the House and Senate, which means you cannot do giant big sweeping things that don't have bipartisan buy-in uh, when the republic or the Democrats have an eight seat Advantage in the House, and it's basically a tie with a tiebreaker from the vice president in the Senate on everything else. You can't propose the Bernie Sanders plan. You can propose it, but you've got to know it's not going to get passed. And for Democrats, they have some real internal headaches when you have the squad um, calling the shots over in the House because there is such a narrow majority for Democrats there. They have to listen to them, like doing things like taking away the Iron Dome defensive um, spending for our ally Israel. Um, so you think if you're going to be fighting about those kinds of things, you got to really manage your expectations because you just don't have the 30-, 40-, 50-vote margin in the House or even the five-vote margin in the Senate that you would need to have to do something so sweeping um, and so massive at this moment in history when inflation is up, there are warnings about that across the board, polling shows that people are very aware of that, they feel the difference in price in gas and groceries and all those kinds of things. All those things have to be factored in for the White House, and they're just going to have to admit – their big huge agenda as they planned it is not going to get done with the margins the way they are it's just not going to in the way they hoped
2: and certainly they don't have a uh, they don't have a Bill Clinton this wonderful persuasive speaker in Barack Obama and he still had trouble because he didn't mm-hmm. do a lot of the work with the people that needed that uh, he needed their support and he certainly didn't have Republican support but i want you to hear more from Jim Vanderhay on the approval rating the president, you know, in July, you had 55% approval, depending on what poll you're looking at, it's down to 43. Let's listen.
7: The Cook Political Report had, had some polling data uh, that they're seeing from Democrats in swing states, double-digit decline in Biden's uh, favorable uh, ratings in those districts. And it's being tied to confidence. There are looking at COVID, they're looking at Afghanistan, and they're starting to wonder if this Washington under Biden is that much different from the Washington under Donald Trump. Uh, That's bad news, right, for for the president because he ran on competency. He ran on his ability to help Democrats in swing states. A lot of this stuff can be ephemeral. It can change based on a victory here or a, a misstep there. But it's a troubling sign because you look at the national polling and in a lot of it you see him starting to climb below fifty percent, which is not where he'd like to be. And but I think what the White House thinking is one, they gotta get through this mess of all these different bills and debt limits right now, but that if he can just get back to focusing on COVID and the economy, can you get COVID Uh, rates, uh, can you you get the infection rates down, death down, and can you get the economy up and the stock market up and people feeling better uh, about the economy, better about their jobs, better about their wages, that at the end of the day, that's probably uh, the make or break question for him on those two
2: topics. So you agree with all that? Yeah, I mean, I think that
14: people were promised uh, that the seas would come. Sort of would be back to Obama time where it would be calm, no mean tweets, we would be respected on the world stage, uh, and that Joe Biden was a steady, seasoned um, statesman. And I think that when people see the reality of um, all kinds of things, I mean, Afghanistan is just one situation, but to see it managed so poorly and to unnecessarily lose 13 American lives, I think that was a huge hit on his presidency, followed up by the drone strike, which apparently killed innocent people who weren't terrorists. That, along with the other things we mentioned, the inflation, um, the inability, you know, the Washington gridlock, the border completely a disaster. And, you know, COVID is not signed, sealed and delivered over. It just isn't. And so I think people feel like, gosh, we felt like we were voting for getting rid of the chaos and getting back to normal and things to be calm and easy and boring. And they haven't gotten that with Biden. So there are things that they could focus on, but they have got a very full table of uh, multiple crises. Some would argue of their own doing some of these, and some are just things they haven't been able to get in control of. And you know, Jim talks about them helping in certain swing districts and stuff. I think for a lot of people, um, they're going to want, um, certainly the vice president, and in some cases the president, to stay away from their house races.
2: Yeah. So the right now too, uh, especially, but he's not taking many questions. He took two very soft ones today, and he talked about paying your fair share. Does he know in the in the news right now? Maybe for the third time, is how after on his thirteen million dollars of income, he owes five hundred thousand dollars in taxes. Does he understand how? Does anyone brief him on that?
14: Well, I think, too, that they just don't think that the mainstream media, by and large, is going to call them out on that stuff. So I, they, I don't think that they feel like they're in a defensive posture because they're like, eh, that's not going to get a lot of ink. I mean, <laughs> you know, we look at the, the Hunter stuff that is now coming full circle to be like, oh, yeah, some of this stuff is actually legit. And we probably knew that a year ago, but we just told everybody it was Russian disinformation. They know how easy it is to manipulate the media so or, or just to assume the media is going to help them and cover for them. So when it comes to stuff like the tax issue, I think they're just not that worried about it. I mean, they just don't yeah. have a lot of concern.
2: Shannon, do you know who's on your show tonight?
14: Uh, I should know that, right? Um, but technically the show is Saturday here on the East Coast, so I don't know who's on tomorrow's show.
2: Oh, okay. Isn't that
14: bad? But listen, um, we've got a lot of interesting stuff um, as everybody continues to track the search for Brian Laundry and the Gabby Petito case. Um, I always find it helpful. I'm sure you guys do the same thing to get local reporters in these areas yeah. um, who have great intel and sources with local law enforcement. So we've got some of that coming up tonight, and of course we're going to continue to go to our folks on the border, find out what's going there, um, and whatever the day brings us in the news cycle.
2: So, so we understand that uh, Vice President Harris, instead of being at the border, she is going on the view, which right? is very similar. Uh, there <laughs> evidently is uh, evidently there is a problem. Uh, Allison was saying that they have to keep tossing the commercials, so Uh-oh. we don't know what the issue is. You want? Let's listen to
13: it.
16: Can someone please apprise me of the situation?
13: I need uh, the two of you to step off for a second. Okay,
16: Anna and and uh, and, and we're going to bring you back later. Have to okay. leave. Yeah. Yes. And we'll tell you why. More information later. It's a tease. We'll t- tell you why in a couple of minutes. Couple of minutes. So shall I introduce the vice president? Yes. Okay. So vice president, no. Nope. Okay, shall we dance? Let's do a tap dance. Let's do a tap
4: dance.
16: <laughs>
4: All right. What? Let's so, do a, for a commercial we'll come back. Talk about what? What, what else can we talk about for uh, Hot topic? Okay.
16: Okay, oh. as we always do in television when we're in a tight spot, we'll be right back.
2: <laughs> and they're still in commercial. Hmm. Wow. What's going Maybe on, you think?
14: traffic. It's it's tricky there in New York sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. Um, listen, she couldn't be going into a more friendly place. This is not like actually showing up at the border. So um, I think she would be in a hurry to get there and, and be fawned over, because I would assume that's what The the View is going to do.
2: Thanks so much, Anna Bream. Thanks for tap dancing with us. And I'll see you tonight at midnight. See you then. All right, go get them. one Marianne Rafferty did a report this morning on the tax problems that Joe Biden's ignoring that the media will not call him out on. We're going to show you exactly what he didn't do. And then Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann, he is using his expertise in Afghanistan to try to get our people out. That's more than you could say about Anthony Blinken or Joe Biden.
1: Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian
8: Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
1: Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
16: What happened is that uh, Sonny and Anna both apparently tested positive for COVID. No matter how hard we try, uh, these things happen. They probably have a breakthrough case, and they'll be okay, I'm sure, because they're both vaccinated up the wazoo. You know, a lot yeah. of vaccines. So, um, and, and, and the vice president is being prepped for her arrival, right? Yep. They cleaned the table. We watched, They did the hands. Everybody's getting all cleaned up, and she'll be out here in a second.
2: You don't have to clean the table. can't get it by services. So they had two host tests positive, and they're probably getting tests because the vice president's coming there. So they had to tap dance on live television. Is that is that the story?
12: It is, and the tap dancing was pretty awful. Um, they're taking questions from the audience without microphones, but you don't get me wrong. It happens to all of us, right? We've had our moments here, but it is a, you know, national broadcast television when the vice president's supposed to be on. Also, they just gave another update now, apparently— uh, VP Hours will be there for an interview, but they're going to do it remotely. They're going to have her in another room to do the interview. Why? Because, heaven forbid, I don't know, two of them tested positive, which is probably a rapid test, which can have false positives. They wiped everything down, but I guess she still doesn't want to go out in that room just to be extra careful, even though everyone's been vaccinated.
2: So let's listen to that that report this morning. If you want to know what... How hypocritical it is for Joe Biden to say, pay a fair share. Why is it so hard to do that? We're not asking you to pay too much. Just pay this. Marianne Rafferty had this report this morning, and this is out there. Cut 19.
0: A new bipartisan report showing President Joe Biden may owe $500,000 in back taxes. Tax documents from the Biden showing they used an S-corporation to reroute millions of dollars in taxable income, avoiding a 3.8% self-employment tax. Even though the president has made pressuring wealthy Americans to pay up a staple of his presidency.
2: Um, that is pretty bad. For no one to ask that question, I mean, every time Donald Trump stuff was in the paper, you would be nonstop, at least by to the press secretary. I would like to see if Jen Psaki is going to get that question today, because this is like the third time this has happened. So one eight two six four oh eight. Uh, 7669. So essentially what he did, he I got me mean, $13 million. He forms a corporation, just like uh, if you have a side job to what you're doing. You want to make sure you pay taxes, but you want to do it at a corporate rate because it's less and it's fair. And then, of course, what you do, too, if you do your own side things, on uh, whatever it is, whether it's Uber or something else, uh, if you're doing side things, what you do is you put it in a separate situation where you get taxed differently, You still pay, and then you could write off travel. You could write off things necessary to do that job, whether it's to buy equipment, to do a side job if you're a construction person on down. He did his speeches and didn't pay $500,000. Just pay your fair share. Come on.
8: From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to the untold story with Martha McCallum, the host of the story on Fox News Channel, sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
1: Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show.
12: We need answers to why this happened. We lost 13 souls, those brave service members, in the last few days of this haphazard withdrawal. We need to know and understand what has happened. We understand we still have Americans in Afghanistan. We still have special partners, those SIV applicants uh, trapped in Afghanistan and, and held at the will of the Taliban. We need answers from these leaders.
2: Uh, welcome back. That is Senator Joni Ernst, and uh, she's a veteran, Air Force veteran, and she does want answers and will be, have a chance on the Armed Forces Committee to ask Secretary of Defense Austin to ask Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Milley. What the hell happened? How did you leave all these Americans, allies, and green card holders behind? Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann must be asking himself that question every day. Almost since the moment we decided to leave in such a terrible fashion, he formed and coordinated Task Force Pineapple, a group of retired Green Berets, Navy SEALs, diplomats, and reporters all helping to get Americans out. Uh, Scott Mann,
15: welcome back. Hey, Brian. How you doing, pal?
2: Good. More important, how are you doing? What kind of success are you having this week?
15: Um, you know, I, I think it's it's frustrating, man, because there there is the environment has changed so much over there. You know, obviously the Taliban control the terrain uh and trying to get trying to get people out, particularly our you know, our partnered special operations forces, uh the Afghan commandos and things like that. It's hard. Uh, what what I will tell you this too, and I don't think this gets talked about enough, is the, the number of af of volunteers, Brian From the special operations community, other combat veterans who have been on the phone with their partners since this happened a month ago. I mean, imagine being a 911 dispatcher and being on the phone for a month with a family that is being hunted by predators and quietly told when you pick up the phone call that no EMTs and no police are coming. Do the best you can, because that's what it feels like for these veterans right now who are doing this.
2: Unbelievable. And now you're using land, right? You're not, uh, you have the, I guess we're getting out 25 people or something. We don't hear much about what the Taliban's letting go through the Kabul airport, but now you're looking for a land bridge.
15: Well, I don't know. I mean, like, I, like you and I've talked about before, like I'm not even going to hit the, the, the mechanisms that are, that, that are in play. What I will say is that it is, uh, we're not giving up. You know, that, that and it's not just pineapple. There are dozens of groups of volunteers who are leveraging 20 years of experience and relationships and craft, and we're not going to give up. You know, we're going to honor this promise uh, because I'm telling you, man, we are on the precipice of a, like a collective moral injury as a nation right now. And the other thing, too, that's not coming out, that it, it, and we're going to start talking about it more, is these, these people are being hunted and killed. I mean, there are, there are executions underway. That are there are atrocities in play right now that are beyond the pale.
2: So there's when people say not the Taliban, they're very businesslike. Have they changed as far as you could tell?
15: Uh, Except for the fact that maybe they're more brutal than when they started. I mean, they are they are they are effectively executing. They've killed kids uh, of of our partnered forces. Um, They are they're walking people down and executing them, arresting them in the middle of the night, and they're just disappearing forever. Um, It is what's happening behind the scenes. And because you don't have a lot of media in the country out of sight, out of mind, but um, we're not going to let that go either. We're going to start talking more about this, and we're going to start. We're getting evidence of it. We're getting pictures. We're getting videos. Uh, sent to us by our partners over there who are being hunted. It's like one Afghan commando told me. He said at one point I was one of the most elite soldiers in the world, respected by my countrymen, and now my family and I are running from house to house in the middle of the night like criminals. Um, and and how does that happen? How do we how do we as a nation allow that to happen uh, to a partner nation? Um, after 20 years, I just it's 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 heartbreaking.
2: Right, does it kill you, Scott, too, that we're not seeing this in the news because we can't get we don't have the images out? I mean, we're keeping this alive on on TV, on radio, not because we have an agenda, but because it's the right thing to do. I feel like it's fading
15: well i i i worry about that but then you know like i'm traveling around the country right now talking to people and look this is an apolitical issue this is not republican or democrat this is about honoring a promise i mean this is about our veteran population showing us what leadership looks like when there's an absence of political will when there's an when nobody else is coming um and and at that level as i travel across the country i have to say Brian, that people on both sides of the aisle are very put out by this. They they are not going away on it. And I really hope the administration steps back and recognizes this. Like, this is not some up and down news event. Like this is a serious um, moral injury on the American people. And and it's being spearheaded by the veteran population. I don't see it going away. I don't see it fading in the news cycle because we're not going to let it.
2: So without jeopardizing anybody's identity, you, uh, we have uh, how many Americans? Do you have any idea, roughly? We keep hearing round a hundred. How many Americans are there, green card holders, let alone allies that you and your buddies have said have helped us out?
15: I, I don't. You know, I think the numbers all over the place. You know, and that concerns me too. You know, the numbers are all over the place. I think it's more than a hundred uh, for American citizens. But again, I'm 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 basing that off you know arbitrary reporting from our people as well who have you know, admittedly their own limited vision of things. But we are, you know, we are in communications with our counterparts on the ground. And, and I think, it, you know, it probably is more than that. And it also concerns me that, that right now the only focus really with State Department is on American citizens and L- LPRs or legal permanent residents. I mean, I get that. That should be the number one priority. But what about, you know, there was an article today in the Wall Street Journal, I believe, Brian, that said that something like three percent, of the SIV applicants, interpreters, and others got out of the country, and so we're talking like a hundred thousand eligible at-risk Afghans who we promised to evacuate. A hundred thousand uh, are still in distress right now in that country. How
2: many people working with – And by the way, we're talking to Scott Mann, putting together task. He put help put together task force Pineapple, a group of uh, retired veterans and others looking to get everybody out of Afghanistan because the president was in too, too much of a rush to do so. Has the Defense Department give uh, you—besides rooting for you, which they're no longer working against you, has the Defense Department done anything for you? Uh,
15: You know, they've advocated uh, for this private-public relationship with state uh, and the interagency. Um, But as far as, like, you know, there's no— Change in authorities or or anything like that 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 i 've seen on the private public front look this is a this is a if it 's a private public relationship it's a it 's a big emphasis on the private i mean the the, the humanitarian effort brian that 's having to go these people are they 've sold they 've sold their belongings they 've sold their cars they are running from house to house they 're out of money they 're out of food they 're out of water. winter is coming to Afghanistan. you know what that 's like. Um, and, and, and so, that, you know, we're having to push humanitarian aid into this country through the private sector alone. The American people are funding this, and these volunteer groups are the ones making it happen. Full stop. That is that is exactly what's happening with this humanitarian effort. It is led by the private sector.
2: Uh, so right now, how many which people are you, are you in contact with roughly
15: over there? Oh, uh, thousands. 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 I mean, and and, and again, it's not just pineapple. I mean, you have dozens and dozens of volunteer groups that are in touch with thousands of Afghans. And again, you know, a swag general swag is probably in the tune of like 100,000 at risk Afghans who um, are, are, are eligible for what we promised to get out of there. And we're left behind. And and so when you think about the disparate volunteer groups that are in touch with them, Brian, what makes this important to the government, and I hope they'll listen to this, is that these volunteer groups are not just a bunch of has-beens, you know, trying to look for relevance. These are people that worked there over a 20-year period. We know who these people are. We know where they are, and they trust us to help them move. And so, you know, we've already proven that these volunteer groups can play a critical role in helping to get them out, but we've, we've just got it. We've got to broaden the relationship with state uh, and with DOD and we've got to get, we've got to get after this more. It's got to be more than just American and LPRs. We can do more than that. And right now, you know, for example, our partnered special operations forces in Afghanistan are in extreme duress. It's a national security risk for them not to be over here and we need to get after it and get them out.
2: So, there is still there's still a way to get people out, correct? And they going through the proper channels. Uh, is that virtually shut off now?
15: I don't even know what proper channels are anymore.
2: Let's say you want to go to the State Department and get someone in a Kabul, oh. a Kabul airport and get them on a plane from Qatar that they're supplying.
15: I don't think I don't think any of that's off the table. Um, I think the problem right now is the focus is on American citizens and LPRs only. Um, and I think a lot of the volunteer groups that are out there are actively working the the, 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 af- the at-risk Afghans. Um, and I, you know, I, I just I – don't, I don't feel the appetite from the State Department uh, or the broader USG on anything beyond American citizens and LPRs. And again, I fully understand that as a priority, but I find it hard to believe that the diplomatic arm of the United States government can only focus on that. I mean you've got – a very robust citizen liaison network that has proven its worth in its ability to know who these people are, where they are, and to leverage trust to help them move, why can't we collaborate more deeply on ways to get them out? And particularly as winter's coming, we need a humanitarian corridor. We need to get food in there. We need to get water in there. We need medical care. I think something like five, in just in our community, five women have given birth in safe houses, um, you know with 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 mobilizing just organic medical care any way we can um and and we we 're just better than that we 're better than that as a nation and we 've got to find a way to uh to keep from going off this moral injury cliff because we're we 're headed that way
2: so how do we uh, for example how are we ever going to get someone to work for us with us in other areas if we 've already shown this lack of loyalty in afghanistan if i 'm an if i'm if i 'm scott Mann and i have i 'm asked to work as a contractor in a in an area where terrorists thrive in uh, Africa, do you don't think people that could be potential allies know what happened in Afghanistan?
15: Don't you think that's going to hurt you? Well, there's two levels. There's two ways to think about that, Brian. You're you're raising a very valid point, and there's really two levels. And again, this is apolitical. Both administrations, I think, should have thought about this more, and I'm talking about the Trump administration as well, because the reality is groups like ISIS and al-Qaeda are always going to use high-threat, at-risk countries like Afghanistan and Somalia as unfettered safe havens. That's not going away in our lifetime. And if we don't understand that having a local presence in those areas and mobilizing communities and partnered forces to be an antibody, then we're diluted, right? We're going to have another 9-11 that's going to be even worse. And right now, because of the way we've treated our partner forces in Afghanistan and the Afghan people, and don't, let's not forget NATO. We didn't include them really in any of this. So not only are these new other nations going to look at us with a jaundiced eye the next time we need to work through them, what do you think a, a potential partner is going to say when we knock on their door and say, hi, I'm from the government. How do you like me so far? Would you mind working with us? No, I, I mean, wouldn't. There's, yeah. there's no way. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to risk that. And, and I think that is – a clear and present danger to national security when you think about the way al-Qaeda and ISIS operate. We're going to need to work with partner countries, and right now we've lost all trust.
2: We have. Uh, so we got thousands in there. Taliban taking over. They're as brutal as ever, and it's leaving the headlines. But behind the scenes, there's stuff going on. So uh, so if our lawmakers still calling you up, Scott?
15: Yes. They are. Uh, there's a lot of lawmakers right now on both sides of the aisle that are actively working this. Um, and I think that they will continue to do so. Uh, and frankly, there's a lot of people on both sides uh, on, of journalism. I mean, that I see that have deep relationships in that country and they know this is a moral injury. So our hope is that, that we just want to continue to be you know, an objective voice for doing the right thing and not let this thing fall out of the public eye. Because frankly, Brian, If it does, um, there are literally tens of thousands of people that are going to die because uh, we took our eye off the ball when our government walked away. And the only thing standing between those people and certain execution um, is a private sector that's willing to take a stand when the government won't.
2: All right, uh, Colonel, people want to help out Operation Pineapple, Task Force Pineapple, I should say. Where do they go?
15: Yeah, right now, I tell you where I'd like to see people go right now is OperationRecovery.org. And that's one of the groups that we're working close with, Brian. Pineapple is just getting up on its feet as a 501c3. Um, We're going to be doing, uh, you know, work to the right of of, of safe passage. But if people want to help get Afghans out, I'm a big fan of OperationRecovery.org. We're working with other 501c3s. And right now, I think weight of effort is to those folks because they're, they're doing great work. Scott
2: Mann, thanks so much. I know you're doing great work on a daily basis, and you're not getting the credit you and your guys and the ladies uh, that they deserve, but we appreciate it.
15: Keep them in your prayers, Brian, and we appreciate you, man.
2: Absolutely, and next week we're going to see some testimony and some definition about what the hell happened. Uh, back in a moment, you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
16: We are thrilled at The View to welcome the first female vice president in American history, Kamala Harris. Yay! Okay. So, before we go into the pandemic question that I have for you, I just want to say, I hope that you're in a safe spot right now. We did everything we could to make sure that you were safe because we value you so
17: much. Well, thank you, Joy, and to everyone. And listen, I, I, Sunny and Anna are strong women, and I know they're fine, but it really also does speak to the fact that they're vaccinated and vaccines really make all the difference because otherwise yes. we would be concerned about hospitalization and worse.
2: All right, that's a little of what's happening on The View, of the chaos that happened. So it was 50 minutes, and they haven't even had him on, right?
12: She just came on right now, and then actually you, um, we just pulled, they f- asked her the first question about COVID, and they just asked her about immigration, which I think your head might explode when you hear the answer. Madam
10: Vice President, we've been discussing those
14: disturbing images of U.S. Border Patrol agents on horseback inhumanely yeah. corralling Haitians at the Texas border, yeah. and you've been tasked with immigration.
0: How do you? What do you? How do you explain this?
17: Well, first of all, I've been very clear about the images that you and I both saw of those law enforcement officials on horses. I I, I was outraged by it. I, it was horrible and um, and, and deeply troubling there 's been now an investigation that is being conducted, which I fully support, and there needs to be consequence and accountability. Uh, the, human beings should not be treated that way, and as we all know, it also evoked images of some of the worst moments of our history where that kind of behavior has been used against. The indigenous people of our country has been used against African Americans during times of slavery. Unbelievable. uh
2: I I can't even listen anymore. Uh, For for that to be the first question, rather than 15,000 people stuck under a bridge, you're supposed to be handling this whole uh, border crossing. That incident aside, in the big picture, you dropped the ball. Why would you have one sanitized visit to the border all this time? We've had two Zoom calls and one visit to the region. Now we have a situation where people coming from 26 countries over the last six weeks How could you possibly say this is in control? Did you make a mistake in reversing all the Donald Trump policies? As reported, you had people urge you, and the administration urged not to do all that because it all could fall apart so quickly. Instead, she becomes interested in the job she was giving five months ago because there was an image there that she could jump on. And uh, I don't believe there was anything wrong, and I think if they do a just investigation, they'll find that. But as Tom Holman pointed out in an earlier part of our show, when your secretary of Homeland uh, home Security already condemns you, the vice president already condemns you, uh, what, cho- what choice, chance do you have of having an honest investigation? We need your union to stand up for you, and that's got to happen. So she is, uh, to me, the Democrats have no bright future, as long as she represents that. Hey, go to briankilme.com. I'm going to be in Punta Clearwater. I'm going to be in West Virginia, and I'm also going to be uh, in uh, Orlando. So go get tickets. It's going to be Winning the War on History. BrianKillMe.com.
12: Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And
6: me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America.
8: Download from The Kitchen Table the Duffy's at FoxNewsPodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.